Open your scriptures. We're in Proverbs chapter 10. Now, up until this point, when we've been reading through the book of Proverbs, I've found that there was a theme that was obvious to, to preach upon. It was really, if, if you've noticed the themes of Proverbs, you, you could tell that we, there's this idea of a father speaking to a son, or there's another theme of the Holy Spirit or wisdom personified here in the book, or there's the, the other theme of um, two women, the woman of wisdom, the woman of folly. Talked a little bit about that last week. We talked about that once when we talked about marriage. But now we're coming to a section where it's really, um, it says the Proverbs of Solomon. And when we think of the word Proverbs, actually, it's these sayings of wisdom. Like just a, a short phrase of wisdom. And so as we read through chapter 10, um, I was preparing to preach and I was like, oh, I don't know how I can preach on so many different little short Proverbs. It's like, um, you know, we would use this term cliches, right? Like just a, a, a short phrase that someone might repeat, but there's some truth within it, uh, and you kind of have to dig through that truth. And so I'm going to read through Proverbs chapter 10, and there's one out of all of them that I think is the most important. Now, I don't know, you might pick up a different one than I did. You're not wrong if you're like, hey, I found this one to speak to me more than the one that you picked. But there's one that I thought, man, I think I need to preach on this one. It's really speaking to me. But there's so many. I don't want to miss any of them. So I'm going to read through the entire chapter here. It is 32 verses. But then I'm going to, you can, uh, it could be a little game here. You could say, I wonder which one pastor picked that he's going to preach upon. All right. You could, you could kind of do that. But we're going to go 32 verses. going to read through all of them. Normally, you know, I like to stop and make a comment, but I'm not going to make any comment. I'm going to try my best to not make any comments, and then, um, and then I'm going to preach on one of these verses. Proverbs chapter 10, the Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son brings grief to his mother. Ill-gotten treasures have no lasting value, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not... Let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the cravings of the wicked. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in the summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. Blessings crown the head of the righteous, but violence overwhelms the mouth. Of the wicked. The name of the righteous is, be, is, is used in blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. The wise in heart accept commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. Whoever winks maliciously causes grief and a chattering fool comes to ruin the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence hatred stirs up conflict but love covers all wrongs wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning 
but a rod is for the back of the one who has no sense. The wise stores up knowledge, but the mouth of the fool invites ruin. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city, but poverty is the ruin of the poor. The wages of the righteous is life, but the earnings of the wicked are sin and death. Whoever heeds discipline shows the way to life, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. The tongue of the righteous is a silver is choice silver, but the heart of the wicked is of little value. The lips of righteous nourish many, but the fools but fools die for a lack of sense. The blessings of the Lord bring wealth without painful toil for it. A fool finds pleasure in wicked schemes, but a person of understanding delights in wisdom. What the wicked dread will overtake them, what the righteous desire will be granted. When the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand firm forever. As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so are sluggards to those who send them. The fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the, Lord, but the years of the wicked are cut short. The prospects of the righteous is joy, but the hopes of the wicked come to nothing. The way of the Lord is a refuge for the blameless, but, in the, but it is ruin for those who do evil. The righteous will never be uprooted, but the wicked will, will not remain in the land. From the mouth of the righteous comes the fruit of wisdom, but a perverse tongue will be silent. The lips of the righteous will know what finds favor but the mouth of the wicked, only what is perverse. All right. I hope you've locked in your choice of what is my... Uh... All right. Well, hold on. Lock it in. Just think about it for a second. I am going to say this. There is a theme there of righteous and wicked, right? Like I, I, I contemplating, do I preach on the righteous and the wicked? But the, the reality is that that's found throughout the whole book of Proverbs. And then I was thinking, okay, but I find, I still find this one verse kind of sums up the righteous and the wicked. Because, like, there's some, some gold in there. It talks about how we use our mouth. Like, you, you can go through there and just list the verses that talk about how we use our mouth. That can distinguish if we're righteous or wicked. How we work. If we're, if we're lazy or we're willing to put our hands to good work. Righteous or wicked. How we use our money. Do we just want it for our own or, or, or are we generous? Those types of themes are within that scripture, right? But then I thought, you know, how we use our money, how we use our tongue, how we work, all of those can be determined by this one verse, I believe, which is, and Deborah, you get the gold star, way to go. Verse 12, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs. See, 
if, if we have love in our lives, it doesn't matter how often we've been on the side of the wicked, love can transform us in a way to bring us onto the side of righteousness. If love covers all wrongs, then it doesn't matter how long we've struggled with wickedness, how long we've struggled with being in the world, how long we've struggled with our flesh, how long we've felt attacked by the enemy. Because when love enters in and love comes into our lives, it transforms us. We are different people. Church, I want to start um, getting more testimonies going. So if you're someone who has a testimony, please talk to me. And I want to do an interview on a Sunday morning in front of the church, if you're bold enough to say, and maybe love came into your life. That is love personified because God is love. Maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago. I don't care how long ago it was. I think we need to start testifying about how love came into our lives and transformed us. Because if we want people to come into our church, which I know you do, and hear about how God has transformed us, we need to start testifying what love, what God has done. See, I think church is more than just me telling you what you need to know. You need to have an encounter with love. That's why God is love. Until you have an encounter with Jesus, like I can talk to Jesus until I'm blue in the face, and that doesn't mean that you've come to know who he is. You might know him, but do you really know him, right? Uh, And you're like, what are you talking about, pastor? Know him, but really know him. You can know of someone, but not really truly know them, right? The way the Bible talks about the word know, Adam knew his wife. it's, It's a form of intimacy, right? Now, there's In that sense, there was sexual intimacy. But throughout the Bible, there's this understanding that to know someone is deeper than having knowledge of them. Even in this book of Proverbs, there's a difference between having knowledge and having wisdom. Wisdom is being able to do with something you know. In the sense of knowledge being, knowing someone is different than having knowledge is to truly have intimacy with them. And so I think we need to experience God to truly know him by experiencing his love. If God is love, you will feel loved by him. And some of us struggle with that, right? My dad was here last week. I'm not going to throw him under the bus while he's here, but he's not here, so I'll say something. My dad struggled. He struggled to tell me he loved me. I remember he would tell me, Thomas, you should know that I love you because I work so hard for you. I'm like, yeah, dad, but I want to hear it once in a while. I want to, he- I want, I want to know it by he- with the word. There's so many different components. Yes, there's the actions. And you know what? I do praise my dad for showing it with his actions by being to- willing to work hard. If you read those Proverbs out of Proverbs chapter 10, you cannot say that my dad or my uncles, my family are men who don't, they're not the sluggard. They're not the ones who have idle hands. My family is known for going to work. Almost all of them didn't want to work for other people. They went to work for themselves. And that says another thing that besides the point, they worked. And so when my dad said, that's how I show my love for you, I believed him. I don't doubt that. However, Also, we see in this, not only does it talk about work, it talks about how you use your mouth. 
And so you might have one component of love, but do you have the other component of love? In the love languages, we, we, we identify five love languages. Do you know the five love languages? Like, so work would be an act of service. So you're willing to serve someone through your love. And then you have words, right? Which we were talking about. Like I struggled to receive words. And so I really like words now. Um, so words of affirmation. You also have quality times. And that was one I, that, that my dad struggled with as well. Because, I mean, those of you who've grown up on farms, you know how much the farm can take the time, right? Like some people work a typical, you know, 40 to 50 hour work week. I was talking to my dad last week. He's like, oh, we got to get the guys stop working 90 hours a week. It's costing us too much to have our employees work 90 hours every week. I'm like, oh, my goodness, they're going to go dead working 90 hours. Like, but I remember that. That's what life growing up was, 90 hour weeks. But quality time. So the, the, there's, there's three. The, the next one is um, uh, physical touch, right? Physical touch. And, and I'll be honest with you. That was another one that struggled. I remember sometimes hugging some of my family members. And this is maybe just because of the, 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 the culture they grew up in. My dad, you know, my last name's Ng. And so um, my grandfather was Chinese. And in, in, in um, Chinese culture is based on respect. And so they... they they show love through respect rather than something like physical touch. So hugs weren't very common in our family. Now, my mom's Dutch and my opa and oma, they'd kiss us on, you know, both cheeks, you know, every time we saw them. And so, so I got that from my other side of the family. So it's not like I didn't have that, but that, that's another love language, right? And then the, the final love language, Amy Beth, I'm looking at you. I'm blanking right now. Gifts. See, that's not a high priority in my house because uh, you need money to give gifts. Well, that's not true, right? You can make things. You can make things. You can, you can um, give something that you already have. You don't need money to give gifts. But some people, that's really how it speaks to them is to, to receive or give gifts. And so those are the, the love languages. And uh, here's, here's some advice. When it says love covers all wrongs, don't think that just because you've done something wrong, all of a sudden you can make up for it by doing those five love languages. Now, you should try still to show those five langu love languages, but we need the grace of the Lord. We need forgiveness. I'm going to read to you from the New Testament how it talks about love covering all wrongs. First Peter, First Peter chapter 4. starting at verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 7, says this, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober in mind that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I like that. I'm going to read it again. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Oh, I got to do it. This is my kids, right? Oh, go clean up your room. I'll do it. I got to do it. No, don't do it grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. See, this is what Peter's saying. He's saying God's grace, God's loves come in, in various forms. See, 
I was just talking about having to encounter God's love, right? And then I mentioned the five love languages. Well, here's the reality is when people come into know God, their experience might be different than your experience. Some people come into church and the worship just speaks and the words of the worship and the song and the melody just speaks over them and they melt in God's love. And they're like, oh, wow, I came to church because the worship really touched my life. And now from then on, they want to make sure they sing 10,000 reasons over and over again because because that's the song that spoke to their heart. Or for some of you, maybe it's, it is well with my soul, some of those older hymns. You know, it doesn't matter, but you, that's what spoke to you, those words. Other of you come into church and someone gave you a hug and it's like, touch, I got my touch. And now I felt the love of God through touch. Some of you, it was an act of service. You, someone came in church and, and the first thing they did said, hey, I'm gonna do something for you. I see you have a need. And, and, and as soon as they came into church, they got, so God can work through various forms, but it all comes back to the fact that love covers over a multitude of sins. Love is what people are experiencing. Love is what we need to continually experience in the church. So verse 11 says, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God, words of love. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To, the, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And so if we really believe that God is a God of love, then whenever we do anything, whatever we do, we have to do it in love so that they can see God. See, if, if you say, oh, I'm doing it for God, but you do it grumbling, why is he mentioned grumbling here? Because then we don't believe that you're actually doing it for God. Because we don't see God in heaven being like, oh, I guess I love that Thomas down there. I guess I got to love him. I guess I am God and everything, and I'm supposed to be loving, so well, I guess. No, God actually loves me. It's a real revelation when Christians start to figure this out. He actually loves me. Yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I have issues that God is working out. But he doesn't look at that. Those things are nailed to the cross. When he sees me, he sees who he created in his image for his glory to do good works. And he loves me. Church, I think we struggle with this concept of how to show love because we need to receive it first. Now, I'm not in this... Uh, you know, this, this new era of building up kids' self-esteem, which, which says, uh, you know, you do no wrong, right? Like telling a kid they've done nothing wrong and everybody gets a participation ribbon and we're all good and we pat them on the head. No, I believe that, that we are all made different and God knows our differences and he sees those differences, but he has a plan and a purpose to build us up that he doesn't have to lie to us to say how good we are. He says, I made you uniquely and special for a plan and a purpose, and I love you. Well, how can I talk, preach about love without mentioning 1 Corinthians chapter 13? And I find we read this so much at weddings, and it doesn't get enough time in a church service that I'm going to read it today. And if I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. 
if I have all if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love I gain nothing love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast it is not proud it does not dishonor others it is not self-seeking it is not easily angered it keeps no record of wrongs love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth it always protects always trusts always hopes always perseveres love never fails but where there are prophecies they will seek where there are tongues they will be stilled where there is knowledge it will pass away for we know in part and we prophesy in part but when the completeness comes what is in part disappears when i was a child i talked like a child i thought like a child i reasoned like a child when i became a man i put the ways of childhood behind me for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror then we shall see face to face now i know in part then i shall know fully even as i am fully known now these three remain faith hope and love but the greatest of these is love again he's talking about looking into a mirror or through a sorry in a reflection of a mirror and that's kind of like what we're experiencing right now in this world i i i i'm trying to convey a message to you that say says you need to experience the love of god you need to know that you are loved by him. You need to know his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his compassion, his kindness, his love, his joy, his peace. And, and, and so I preach, I preach, I preach. But what Paul is saying is, like, it doesn't matter how much we, we tell you. It doesn't matter how much we try to, to fathom it. Right now, it's like we're looking in a mirror. And if I had to love my wife and, and, and all I had was a two-dimensional mirror to, to, to love her through, uh, it, it would... It would it's only a part. It's only in part. And that's what he's saying. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Now, when God looks at you, he doesn't only see a part. He sees the whole thing. He loves you. And he wants you to experience love the way he experiences you. So right now, we can't see him, but we believe he can see us, right? Right now, we know we can't see God face to face. In the book of Exodus, Moses goes before God and he gets a glimpse of God, but he can't even see him face to face because if he sees him face to face, he'll die. So God only shows his back, right, to Moses. And so we know that love is so powerful. God is so powerful that we, he can't show himself to us. But again, he can see us fully. He knows us fully. Yet I believe it's his desire, just as it says here, that one day we will see him face to face. And until that day, we need to long for his love, long for that interaction to be known and to know him fully. I've got one more scripture for you, and it's found in 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 to 18. Now this so, so first we talked about how love covers over a multitude of sins. God looks at us. 
He doesn't see our sin, covers over our sin. Then we said, okay, well, here's how love is shown, and here's how we love, and, and, and we need to know love. But then we can say, are we really getting this? And I think John tries to really hammer it through. Hey, church, sometimes we think we get it, but we don't. And so he says this. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. You know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer will enter, uh, has eternal life residing in him. So where is eternal life? It's residing in us. We can't say that we hate anyone or we've committed murder in our hearts and no murderer actually has eternal life in them. This is a very tricky passage. This passage is saying, church, we have to be very careful if there's any form of hate within us because hate demonstrates, especially for our brothers and sisters, demonstrates that we are not loving and we don't have the love of Christ within us. I'll be first to admit there are certain people who are easier to love than others. Do we get an amen? No, you don't have to amen that one. That would be, that would be not nice. That would not be nice. But it's true, right? Like, uh, you know, uh, we, we, we tell our kids, uh, you know, you don't have to like each other, but you do have to love each other, right? Like, um, and, there, and there is a bit of a difference, right? Like there, the idea of being loving and having a, a, a general sense of, I want what's best for my brother or my sister versus, you know, be, having this affection for each other. See, we, we've confused in this world the way the world talks about love and the way the Bible talks about love. The Bible talks about love and the way that God loves us and that he wants what's best for us, that he has more than just feelings for us. He has a purpose for us. Whereas the way the world talks about it, love is it's an emotion. Now, it's not to say that when we experience God, we don't get some emotions with it. We don't feel those goosebumps or those tingly feelings or the, the, the st stomach issues that you come along with starting to feel love for someone. You're like, oh, I feel weird. I feel all sweaty. My palms are sweaty when I think about this person. Yeah, those things come along with love, but that's not love in and of itself. I remember... When I went to talk to Amy Beth's dad about dating Amy Beth, and I said, I think I love her. And he says, no, you're in lust with her. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he was probably right. I was, I was enamored with the idea of who she was more than actually truly loving her. And then over time, of course, we got married and I learned to love. And that's what love really is. It's this journey of coming to know someone. But the, here's, here's what John is saying here in this passage is that it's not just the emotions. But you can't hate each other. You can't hate, you can't hate someone and say that you're a Christian. I'm sorry, church. It doesn't work that way. 
Now, we, sometimes it takes time to forgive. It takes time to love someone, especially when they've hurt you. But as Christians, we ask, this is, the whole point of my message is this, is that if we go back to that Proverbs, it says that love covers wrongs. If we are truly believers in Christ, we will not hate, but when someone hurts us, we will understand that we need to experience God's love for that person so that his love can flow through us for that person. Let me finish reading this these last two verses, and then I'll explain. This is how we know what love is. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possession and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can he, the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. See, it's more than just the feeling. It's more than just words. Love is action and truth. And here's the reality. He's saying, hey, if you see someone in need, what love is, is having pity on them and wanting what's best for them and helping them when, when, when we can. And he says, in the same way that Jesus laid down our, his life, we ought to lay down our lives for each other. See, here's the biggest difference between the way the world loves and the way we love. And this is what my father-in-law was getting to when he says, hey, no, you're in lust with Amy Beth. I, at that point in my life as a teenager, I wanted to receive love. And what the Bible is saying, what love truly is, is giving love. So if you really say you know Jesus, if you really say you know God, if you really are a Christian who has eternal life within them, then what happens is the only receiving of love that you truly need is from the Father and not from anyone else in the world. Man, I love it when my wife shows me the five love languages. I love it. The reality is if I, my love for her depended on her showing me those love languages, our marriage would be awful because it would just be us sitting around waiting for each other to love each other. The cycle has to start somewhere, but the cycle doesn't start between us. The cycle doesn't start between two people. You know where love truly originates from? If God is love, it starts when, from him and he starts love within you, starts it moving. And you're like, well, I don't know how to get that started. This is why what, what this verse is so important. It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. So when I talk about you need to experience the love of Jesus, you need to be reminded. This is the simplest way to get the love of God back in your life. If you're struggling feeling loved, if you're struggling loving other people, what you need to remind yourself is that Jesus Christ died for you. I'll be honest with you. Um, this week, my kids were sick. I was starting to feel sick. I have a paper, uh, not a paper, I have a project for school due this week. Uh, it's the Super Bowl, and I want to watch the big game, and, and I want to preach well. I did a funeral yesterday. I'm not trying to give you uh, a, a feel sorry for Pastor Thomas uh, list, but I'll be honest with you. I was feeling sorry for Pastor Thomas. I was starting to feel sorry for myself with all the things that had to get done, and and, and I then when you start feeling sorry for, for yourself, this is not a good thing to do. 
don't make that list that I just made for myself and then start feeling sorry for yourself because this is what starts to happen. Then you start adding to the, the feeling of feeling sorry for yourself. So you feel sorry for yourself first and then you start looking at everything from a negative frame of mind. And the Bible says to take every thought captive in what? Surrender it to Christ. And so as soon as I started to see that tailspin, I should say as soon as I started to see that tailspin, I kind of let the tailspin go a little bit and I was kind of spiraling a little bit in my mind and in my heart. But at some point, I recognized this. And sometimes when I'm preaching, you know, like that helps because then I preach to myself. I took this thought to Christ and, and, and this experiencing of God's love. I need it. I want you to have it. And if it's true that the simplest way that we receive it is just to know that Christ laid down his life for us, all I need to snap out of that is to know that he forgives me. That no matter how things end up this week or any other week or what I've done that I'm not proud of or the way I've thought that I'm not proud of, all I need to know is he died for me. And just thinking that he died for me fills me with his love. Now, sometimes it's hard to get that in our head. He died for me? He died for me? Like, it, it just takes time to say, no, no, yeah, he died for me. You put your name in there. He, he died for Thomas. See, we read John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And we say, of course, Jesus would die for the world. He wants to redeem the world. He loves the whole world. But sometimes we have to single out the whole world and say, even if the rest of the world would reject Jesus, he would still come and die for you. He would still come and die for just me. He loves us. If Proverbs chapter 12 is, uh, chapter 10, verse 12 is true, which I believe it is true because it's in God's word, hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers all wrongs, then life is actually very, very simple. We just need more love. It's simple in concept. It's difficult in practice. Say that again. It's simple in concept. It's difficult in practice. Can I remind myself that Jesus loves me and died on the cross for my sins when I'm arguing with my wife? Can I do that? I hope I can. <laughs> it's simple in concept. It's difficult in practice. Sometimes we need to step away from the conflict. If hatred stirs up conflict, we have to step away from the conflict, remind ourselves that God loves us, remind ourselves that God loves the person we're in conflict with. And then once we're filled with that love, we're reminded that Jesus loves us, reminded that he died for my sins, we're reminded that he died for the sins of the person we're in conflict with, then it's so much easier to re-engage and to love that person with the love of Christ in us. Let's pray. I feel like I am good at talking for 45 minutes 
and saying one very simple thing, which is that God loves you and you need God's love. But I think it's, we could, it's like the end of the book of John. The end of the book of John says, uh, gospel of John says, if we could write uh, of all of the things that the Lord has ever done, we wouldn't have uh, enough books to contain in this world, right? I could talk for hours and hours and hours about God's love, but I'll end it with what I just told you. It's simple in concept. It's difficult in practice. We need the love of God. You want to practice it? You need to experience the love of God. You need to feel the love of God. You need to know the love of God. So let us pray. Father, I pray that we would know your love for us. The love of the Father, which sends his one and only Son into the world. The love of the Son who would die on the cross for our sins and forgive us for all that we've done. And the love of the Holy Spirit who sees us not as broken vessels, but he sees us as the temple of his Spirit who he desires to live in and through and to use. Help us, God, Father, Son, and Spirit, to know that we are loved by you. Help us to love those around us, not with the love that we've kind of conjured up in ourselves, but knowing the love that you have for the world. Help us to recognize the temptation to hate. Open our eyes when we are not loving. with our actions, with our words, with our deeds. And fill us, Holy Spirit, in a way that we would be transformed and that we would stop spiraling out of control and we would move in a direction that would demonstrate your love. Lord, I pray for the next time that we feel the emotion of hatred towards anyone, that we would take that thought captive, surrender it to you, and we would be reminded that you died for us and you died for whoever we're feeling that towards. And we pray that love would flow in, that love would overwhelm us. Not just for that person, but Lord, that we would feel your love for us. And then all of the things of this world would fade away. Lord, your word is true. These three remain faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. This is so important, and yet, Lord, I feel like we need your help to do it. And Lord, our, our church's slogan is to live and love like Jesus. Lord, would we have your love within us to live for you? to love like you. Fill us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.